0: Wow, give a shout. Now, I believe we've heard the Lord today. Let's thank God for Robert Heidler. I'm going to do something. Alamo Beef 2 and my new book just came out while we were in Israel. When we got back, the day we got back, on uh, Thursday it was, it was coming in and uh, it's called The King's Signet Ring now this book is an important book for us because it's, it explains how we all have to have favor and we all have to have access and then we all have to go to war this is not a book that you would want to pass by It's simple, it's clear, it's got incredible revelation in it. And another thing about it is something happened to me uh, Friday. I was sitting somewhere and the Lord said, I've called you to prosper. Now I want you to tell somebody next to you, I think that's for you too. See, sometimes we forget our destiny is to prosper. Prosper doesn't mean we're the wealthiest, greatest millionaire on earth or billionaire. It means that we are fully accomplishing what he has asked us to accomplish and we are gaining the provision we need to do it. Now, I want to do this. Robert Heidler has been so instrumental in my life over how to express clearly what God is saying. See, I'm not the most incredible teacher in the world, but when you write, you have to sort of make sense. And Robert, through the years, is one who knows how to take revelation, break it down so we understand it. Let's welcome Robert Heidler. Here is your kign-
1: signet ring. Thank you. Amen. Amen. You know, Chuck has been traveling all over the world, went through to New York, through all five boroughs, went to Israel, and uh, I almost hated to ask him what I should speak on, because I know he has so focused on other things, but I finally texted him and said, "What do you want me to speak on this next Sunday?" And he said, "Oh, I don't know. Just see if God gives you something." <laughs> well. Uh, several weeks ago, Chuck had asked me to write a chapter for a book that he's working on. And so I was working on that, and all of a sudden I saw, this is the message. And so I told Chuck, and he said, yes. So that's what I'm going to be speaking on this morning. And the message for this morning is, breaking the power of chaos, restoring God's shalom. Now, see, the world today is in chaos. It seems like everything is shaking. I mean, you read the news. And it's filled with civil unrest, and riots, and wars, and plagues, and droughts, and shortages, unrelenting heat waves, crime, violence, runaway inflation, prices skyrocketing. It seems like the whole world has gone insane. Because of the chaos in the world, many people find their personal lives also in chaos. The COVID pandemic has taken a heavy toll on families, on relationships, on jobs, on education, on the economy. And so many have their lives overwhelmed by stress and anxiety and confusion and turmoil. And so Chuck asked me to write a chapter for this book that he's writing, and the chapter title is Making It Through the Chaos Into Your Future. And that's really where this morning's message came from. And so I want to start by asking, well, what is chaos? Well, I looked it up in the dictionary, and the dictionary definition of chaos said it's a state of utter confusion or disorder, a total lack of organization or order, any confused disorderly mass, The formless matter supposed to to have preceded the existence of an ordered universe. And then I looked up in a thesaurus other words that are related to chaos. And they are anarchy, disarray, discord, disorder, lawlessness, tumult, turmoil, clutter, free-for-all, muddle, snarl, unruliness. So I want to say, if your life is characterized by confusion and disorder, if you're in turmoil and you're overwhelmed by clutter, you have been captured by chaos. See, Satan wants to hold the world in chaos, and he's doing a very good job, because our world is in confusion. There's turmoil, there's lawlessness, Uh, There are no accepted values of right and wrong. There's no clear standard of what is true and what is false. I mean, one person's news is another person's fake news. Some suspect there are powers that actually want to promote chaos because they know that when chaos gets bad enough, people will willingly accept tyranny just to get some order back. Now, my favorite picture of chaos is a clothes dryer. You look in the little window in the door, and everything is swirling. From time to time, you catch a glimpse of a pair of socks or a pant leg or a shirt tail. But it's a jumble, and it's all swirling together. And sometimes you feel like your life is like that. Satan always wants to keep you in chaos. Now the opposite of chaos is expressed by words like calm, harmony, order, peace, normality, and quiet. And there's a Hebrew word that expresses those same things, and it's the word shalom. Shalom means peace, wholeness, and well-being. It includes health, Prosperity, security, and tranquility. Now, the Hebrew language gives some interesting insights into the meaning of shalom. In uh, its comment on Psalm thirty-four, fourteen, the Passion Bible points out that if you look at the pictographic symbols that make up the Hebrew word shalom, what it reads, what it says, is this: destroy the authority that binds to chaos. So shalom destroys the authority that binds us to chaos. The word shalom is derived from the verb uh, shalom, which means to restore. It means to provide what is needed to make someone whole and complete. So when shalom comes, chaos is broken. And see, Satan always wants to promote chaos. The good news is we have a God who can break the power of chaos. God always wants to break us out of chaos and bring us into his shalom. And he showed us how to do that in the very first chapter of the Bible. So let's take a few minutes to look at Genesis chapter 1 to see how it shows us The process of breaking out of chaos. Now Genesis chapter 1 verses 1 and 2 in most Bibles says, In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth, but the earth was formless and empty, darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. Now most Christians have never stopped to think about what that's actually saying. And what they assume is that God created the world as a dark, formless mess and then spent six days cleaning it up. That's not what happened. Now to understand what really happened in Genesis 1, let's take a closer look at what it says. Verse 1 says, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now in Hebrew, there's a punctuation at the end of that. And it means full stop. And that tells us there's some kind of a break between verse 1 and verse 2. Then verse 2 says, but the earth was formless and empty. Now some of you in your Bibles will have a little text note that says that word was could also be translated became. Became. This is the same word that's used later in Genesis where it says, Lot's wife became a pillar of salt. So we could really translate the verse this way. In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth, full stop, but the earth became formless and empty. Now those words formless and empty are significant. In Hebrew it's the word tohu vebohu. You know, when our kids were little, we would look into their bedrooms and their toys were scattered all over the floor and we'd say, your room is Tohu Vabohu. (laughs) It's a mess. Now, a better translation of this than formless and empty would actually be a wreck and a ruin. Because Tohu Vabohu doesn't describe something that's merely unformed and empty. When those words are used in other places in the Bible, it describes judgment and utter devastation. For example, we find those same words in Jeremiah 4, verses 23 through 26. And he says, I looked on the earth, and behold, it was Tohu and Bohu, and at the heavens, and they had no light. And I looked in the mountains, and behold, they were quaking, and all the hills moving to and fro. And I looked, and behold, there was no man, and all of the birds of the heavens had fled. And I looked, and behold, the fruitful land was a wilderness before the Lord, before his fierce anger. And so these words really describe a world that's been devastated by judgment. So to bring out the real meaning of what it's saying here, I think a better translation would be something like this. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, but the earth became a wreck and a ruin with darkness over the surface of the deep. So what we're really seeing in the six days of Genesis chapter 1 is the restoration of a devastated world. Verse 1 describes the original act of creation. Back at the very beginning, God created everything. But it doesn't say when that happened. It could have been billions of years ago. It just says back at the beginning, God created the universe. But at the start of this account, we find an earth devastated by God's judgment. It has become a wreck and a ruin. It's a chaos. And then in the rest of Genesis chapter 1, we see that in six days, God restores the devastated earth and sets the stage for redemption. Now, if you really understand what Genesis 1 is saying, there's no conflict with science. Genesis 1 does not teach a young universe. Genesis 1 doesn't say anything about how long ago the universe was originally created. And by the way, this is not a new interpretation. This isn't an interpretation that somebody thought up to try to reconcile the Bible with science. As a matter of fact, this is how the ancient rabbis interpreted Genesis chapter 1. Rabbi Simon bin Jokal A disciple of Rabbi Akiba back in the first century. This was in the days of Jesus and the apostles. He wrote this. Destruction is signified in verse 2 of chapter 1. The earth was tohu and bohu. These indeed are the worlds of which it is said the blessed God created them and destroyed them. And on that account, the earth was desolate and empty. Rabbi Ankelos, who translated the Old Testament into Aramaic in the early 2nd century, translates verse 2, and the earth was laid waste. Another rabbi said, nor is this world the first of the things earthly created by God. He made other worlds before ours, but he destroyed them. So this is what the Jewish rabbis taught back in Jesus' day. There was the original creation in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And like everything God made, it is good. But at some point after the act of creation, something terrible happened. Judgment fell on the earth. The earth became a wreck and a ruin, and darkness covered the face of the deep. Earth was taken over by chaos. And then in six days, God restored the earth and created mankind to have dominion. So the Bible begins with a mystery. If you really look at the first few verses, there's a mystery there. And the mystery is what happened to the first earth? How did this world become a chaos? And I think we find a clue in Genesis chapter three, verse one, because in the midst of this perfect creation that God has just restored, we suddenly find the serpent or Satan. An evil creature filled with hatred for God is already present in the restored earth. We wondered, where did he come from? Because in the six days of creation, everything God made was good. I mean, he tells us that look, he made day one, well, yeah. Oh, that's good. Day two, oh, that's all so good. Day three, four, five, six, everything was good. Nothing bad was made on any of these days. And yet suddenly, in this perfect creation with Adam and Eve was that ancient serpent who is the devil or Satan. How did he get there? Well, if everything made in days one through six was good, then Satan's origin must take place before verse two of Genesis chapter one. And the Bible describes what happened back then. There are two passages that most students of the scripture believe describe the fall and origin of Satan. Ezekiel 28 describes his origin, his creation. Isaiah 14 describes his fall. And these passages tell us that before Genesis 1 verse 2, Satan was the highest of all created beings. He was one of the cherubim. His job was to lead all creation in the worship of God. But he became puffed up with pride and tried to take the glory for himself. He led a third of the angels in rebellion against God. And because of that, God cast him out of heaven and he was cast down to planet earth and judgment fell on the earth.
0: Now the Spirit of God told me to pray for us right now. I'm going to set a bloodline over you. This is what, if I have one problem, that i have to deal with all week long with people is this that they don't get satan was there he is your enemy he wants to stop you from moving forward he wants to wreak and wreak chaos wreck and ruin in your life Now, Father, I set a bloodline over everyone here. Lord, I bind those religious demons in every one of them that does not allow revelation to come in by the Spirit. All of you on the web, I set a bloodline over you. I say you will understand your enemy and what he is doing in Yeshua's name.
1: Amen. And so when Satan was cast down, judgment fell on the earth, and the earth became a wreck and a ruin, and darkness covered the face of the deep. Now, we don't really know what form judgment takes. You know, I sort of like science fiction. I sort of like to think maybe God used a natural event like a meteor impact that destroyed all life on earth. It was like wham! Wham! It's what the scientists call an ELE, an extinction-level event. But whether God used something like that or something else, the fact is the earth became a wreck and a ruin, and darkness covered the face of the deep. And Satan and his demonic forces inhabited a dark and ruined world. It was a chaos. Thick clouds of smoke and ash prevented any light from reaching the surface of the planet. And we don't know how long the darkness lasted. It could have been a few months. Could have been a few years. Could have been millions of years. But God wasn't finished. And the Spirit of God hovered over the dark ruin. And then the voice of God spoke and said, Let there be light. And the clouds parted and the atmosphere began to clear and restoration had begun. And this passage shows how God broke the power of chaos and restored the earth to be a place of beauty. And the passage indicates that three things were necessary to break chaos. And if you are being held in the power of chaos, these three things will break chaos off of you. The first thing that was necessary to break chaos was the Holy Spirit. Remember Genesis 1, verses 1 and 2. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, but the earth became a wreck and a ruin, and darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And so into the dark, ruined world, God's Holy Spirit came, and he hovered. The Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. You know, the only other place where this verb is used is Deuteronomy 32, where it describes a mother eagle who comes and hovers over her young. I think a close parallel to this verse is found in Luke 1.35, where the Spirit comes to overshadow the womb of Mary to bring about the conception of Jesus. Jesus says the angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. And so the Spirit came and hovered in the midst of the chaos, imparting life, so at a word from God, chaos could be broken. The next thing that was necessary was the voice of God. Over and over in Genesis chapter 1, we see, and God said, and God said, and God said. See, there's power in his word. God's word has creative power. You know, Ezekiel found himself in a valley full of dead, dry bones. It was a chaos, but God told Ezekiel, prophesy into that chaos, release the word of God, and the bones came to life. In Genesis 1, God's word did two things. See, the world was in chaos because it was formless and it was empty. So in days one to, three, 1 to 3, God spoke form into what was formless. And he did it by making a separation. He separated day from night. He separated the sea from the sky. He separated the dry land from the sea. See, to break chaos, you need to make some separations, some distinctions. Ask God what separations you need in your life to break you out of chaos. But then in day four through six, God's word filled what was empty. He replaced what was missing. So ask God, Lord, what am I missing? And if you're empty, you need to be filled. You need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Your mind needs to be filled with the Word of God. So in day one, God made the day and the night. He made the clouds clear enough that you could see light coming through. But then in day four, he filled what he made. He made the lights of the day and night. The sky cleared so the sun and the moon were clearly visible. Day two, he made the sea and the sky. But in day five, he made the creatures of the sea and the sky. In day three, he made the dry land. But in day six, he filled it with creatures and made the creatures of the land. And all of that was accomplished by his word. To break chaos, you need to let God's word do its work in you. You need to let it separate some things. Let it show you God's perspective on things. Let it separate truth from falsehood. Let it show you what is good and what is evil. Let it define what is right and what is wrong. And then let it fill. Receive God's truth and let it restore what has been damaged and bring about a new order. See, God wants to break the power of chaos In you. Where Satan has brought chaos and darkness, God comes and he comes to give you new life. As his spirit hovered over the ruined world, his spirit is now brooding over you. And then his voice speaks into your life through his prophetic word. And his voice breaks the power of chaos and releases his life and new light. And as you allow God to speak his order into the tohu and bohu existence you've been living, he sets you on a path for full restoration. But you know, God also calls his church to break chaos in the world. In the Bible, the church is called God's ecclesia, And in the ancient world, an ecclesia was a legislative body. It established boundaries. It made decrees. So how does the church break chaos? Same thing that happened in Genesis chapter 1. We do it by the Spirit. We invoke the power of the Holy Spirit to come and hover over our cities. And we enforce God's will on earth by power ministry, by miracles, by healing the sick, by driving out demons. And then we do it by the Word. God authorizes his church to declare his prophetic word so principalities and powers are overcome and the spiritual atmosphere over our cities changes. But you know, there's one more thing necessary to break chaos. We had the spirit. We had the word. The last thing is Shabbat. See, on the seventh day, God rested. It was the first Shabbat on planet earth. Now why is Shabbat so important? It's because Shabbat is the key to establishing God's shalom in the earth. Shabbat and shalom are always connected. Remember the Hebrew pictograms for shalom means shalom destroys the authority that binds us to chaos so chaos was not completely broken until day 7 when we celebrate shabbat we enter into god's shalom and the power of chaos is broken in our lives now we live in a world that is being overwhelmed by chaos many of the people you know are being overtaken by chaos but it's time For chaos to be broken so how is chaos broken first of all by the Holy Spirit the Holy Spirit needs to come and hover over the chaos there's no restoration without the Spirit so welcome the Holy Spirit be filled with the Holy Spirit take Holy Spirit with you wherever you go and invite his presence into every situation then the word of God must be decreed. See, prophetic words have power. God told Jeremiah that he's watching over his word to perform it. He's saying when we decree what God has said, God will move quickly to bring it about. See, so often we speak over our lives what the devil has told us or what we feel or what the world has said. We say, oh, I'm not good enough. I'm not smart enough. I'm not strong enough. And God says, no. You need to declare his word. God says, let the weak say, I am strong. You may feel weak, but the word of God says, when you're weak in human strength, then you're mighty in the power of God. So don't declare what you feel or what the devil has told you. As you declare what God has said over your life, things change. And if you don't know what God has said over your life, ask him and he'll tell you. Then as the church declares God's word over territories, angels are released and the atmosphere over our city changes. And then there's one more step and that's Shabbat. Chaos was not completely broken until day seven. And even today, Shabbat stands like a sentinel in a world of chaos and establishes an island of shalom for all who will choose to enter. So choose to enter shalom. Receive God's shalom and see chaos broken. And God wants you to know You can break the power of chaos. Shalom can be restored. Lord, we thank you. You are a God who breaks the power of chaos and restores us to the fullness of your shalom. I release that over each person here now in Jesus' name.
0: Whoa. And let me encourage you. You know, Shabbat on Friday nights is just, one of the things that is the most important thing, and I, I, you don't have to, we're not religious, so you just find your Shabbat, but I do encourage you to try to stop and celebrate that. And then Faith Rising this past week with Ben Windsor. let's thank God for how ben, how ben has withstood wreck and ruin in his life. And then uh, Isaac Pierce will be on this particular week on Faith Rising. And then, of course, Wednesday night, Linda Heidler and I were there talking about the apostolic woman. Look at somebody and say, they're on the rise. (laughs) Now, I want to do something. I want to send you out to Bohu and Tohu. I send you out to take on wreck and ruin. Lord, I send us forth. Bohu, Tohu, and wreck and ruin, we say you're put on notice. We're coming out like an army.